From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to another edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. It is Wednesday, uh, May the 13th. Hope you are well and safe out there. We have a big show coming uh, to you today. I talked to Antonio Morales, former Ole Miss Clarion Ledger beat writer. He is now uh, covering USC for The Athletic out in Los Angeles. You uh, probably heard the news out of uh, LA yesterday about the uh, city having the very likelihood that it will have shelter in place through July the 31st. Uh, multiple schools in the state of California, online only in the fall. That was announced yesterday as well. A lot of Pac-12 scuttlebutt uh, about what's going to happen with the Pac-12. Pac-12 coaches nervous about a a conference-only season, even some talk about a season in the spring. Um, so there's a lot going on. Got Antonio on for about half an hour. We'll get to him in a little bit. And then um, Zach Barry and I did an interview, pretty lengthy interview. I think you'll really enjoy it with former Clemson coach, former Memphis coach, Tommy West. He's now the defensive line coach at Middle Tennessee. We talked to him about uh, his career. We talked to him about um, what he's hearing about Middle Tennessee being able to bring players back. An interesting topic with him. He's 65 years old, has had open heart surgery. So uh, he, he knows he's one of the susceptible ones uh, as it pertains to coronavirus, we talked about that. We talked about the future of football. We talked about some recruiting wars. We uh, reminisced a little bit about the 2003 Ole Miss lost, Ole Miss loss, I should say, to uh, to Memphis there at the Liberty Bowl. One that uh, Eli Manning was the quarterback at Ole Miss on an Ole Miss team that ended up coming awfully close to uh, winning the SEC West and getting into the SEC championship game for the first time in the program's history. So, a lot for us to get to. On the show, I think you'll uh, you'll really enjoy both interviews. First, I want to tell you about the uh, Oxford Exxon. It's out there on Highway 6 West. We've been telling you for a while, you can download the Speed Pass Plus app, and uh, you don't have to touch anything. You can, uh, you can pay without having to touch the pump or the card reader. It's obviously safer during the pandemic. You also can head inside to the Oxford Exxon, and uh, great beer selection, soda selection, snacks, daiquiris, uh, lunch, uh, all sorts of stuff that they've got in there at the Oxford Exxon. Been telling you about it for a long time. Great partner with us, gosh, for almost a decade now, Ben Craddock and the wonderful people at the Oxford Exxon. They take care of us. Hopefully you will take care of them as well. Don't forget about that Speed Plus, Speed Pass Plus app. And then you can head next door to the uh, Oxford Crystal. They've got dine-in now. Of course, they've got drive through And uh, they've got delivery options as well, depending on uh, your level of concern with uh, the coronavirus pandemic as we navigate our way through the month of May. Uh, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is that number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get the quote, and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around, of course. That's your prerogative, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service. You'll love the product. Uh, The people at Clark Ford want to be your truck guy. They want to be your car guy, and they'll prove that to you when you call Corey, 662-257-1900. 
Antonio Morales, and uh, Tommy West join us today on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters on the Water is open. It's located at the Sardis Marina. Come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers and Louisiana-styled po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. They're open Wednesday and Thursday, 3.30 to 10, Friday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. They have a newly expanded picnic-style dining area, signature appetizers including zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls. Uh, They'll have live music coming up soon, as soon as uh, Tate Reeves and the Mississippi leadership allows it. They'll have it out there. be perfect way to enjoy summer as it gets started here in North Mississippi. They also offer a, a variety of fun cocktails, including their famous House Frozen Margaritas. They've got to-go and curbside pickup available as well. 662-712-6162. So now to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline and Antonio Morales of The Athletic. Antonio Morales of The Athletic, kind enough to uh, join us. Long time, uh, long time no talk and nothing. You go out to L.A. and I told you this would happen. You go out there and you, you, you're you big time. Us small guys, we, we're all of a sudden, we don't matter anymore. We're just little peons uh, in the heartland, and, and you're out there where, where the action happens. And it's just, I'm, I'm honored to be able to speak to you for just a moment. So thank you so very much for the time. <laughs> That's very flattering. Uh, I'm not, uh, not the big time yet. I still had to get my ass kicked by you um, plenty of times when I was on the old Miss beat. So um, not big time yet. And, uh, you know, still, uh, still enjoy coming on the podcast and talking to you, Neil. Appreciate you being here. Uh, all, all everybody safe in your family? Everybody good? Yeah, yeah, everybody's good so far. Kind of just you know staying inside over here in California and um, you know taking the necessary precautions and stuff like that. Yeah, the pictures of Los Angeles, the no traffic is just bizarre. I mean, it, it is every time I look at it, I'm like, this has got to be like from a movie or something. It's crazy. <laughs> Exactly. The, the air is getting better out here. The gas prices are going <laughs> down. Um, you know everything. Everything is much different now than what it's been before. All right. So yesterday, the I, I, I don't I lose track of all the people who do things, but in Los Angeles, it was said, "Hey, we're probably going to keep the shelter in place through July the thirty first, which led to quite a reaction because, like my my initial reaction was, "Why? Why? Why? Why do you push it out that far? What, what's?" Uh, you were you were telling me pre-show that maybe there was a little media overreaction to that, which is flabbergasting to me that that would happen. But but um, what what is kind of the sense there about what it looks like and when can a, a market, a city as big as Los Angeles, as critical as Los Angeles is to our nation's economy, when can it begin to kind of get started again? Yeah, it, it seemed like it because California they've had that Gavin Newsom's like instituted like a four stages of when they could reopen things back up again and the stay-at-home order was always going to be you know one of the last things that gets taken out and it didn't seem like that was going to be happening before august or anything um it's not like they're going to get in stage four within like the next couple of months um so i think that felt like a little misleading because that just seemed like it was always going to be be there but that being said, if it is there, it doesn't mean they can't ease restrictions and things like that should the data suggest they can. Um, so, you know, that felt like a little misleading. But obviously, um, you know, people out here, there's protests in Orange County, which is like an hour south of here. Um, 
last week because the beaches were um, getting closed when other parts of California could have their beaches open. Um, so people, you know, some some people in Southern California are starting to get a little, little antsy just because, I mean, the economy is not used to being this slow and things aren't getting used to um, getting closed down for this long. So um, it'll be interesting to see how long people will kind of hold on to their patience. So I know you're working on the same story over there that we're working on over here. It's I, I think fans lose their minds with it a little bit, and I, frankly, I don't blame them because it feels like every conversation is sort of Groundhog Day. But I do sense that we're getting closer to some sort of, uh, not resolution, Antonio, but some sort of a statement from, from different conference commissioners and, and about, hey, we got to make plans, and here are those plans right now. What are you hearing about the Pac-12? Uh, obviously, it's a different climate out there. And I don't mean weather. A different climate out there with the virus, different political climate than it is in the Southeast. Uh, and and that's such a huge conference. Like, you know, the state of Arizona, hey, we're opening up. State of California, hey, we're not. I mean, that, that's, there's a lot of variation there. What are you what are you hearing from Pac-12 coaches about what, what the landscape looks like? Yeah, exactly. It's... It's and you have a place like a state like Oregon where they're like we're not going to do anything in September mass gatherings wise, um, and and Oregon plays Ohio State in that that first month of the season, so it's been it's been kind of all over the place here. I, I think it's kind of kept open the the possibility, and you hear it from people over here and the Pac-12 this week they've had these coaches like webinars um, every day. And one of the things that gets brought up is what about a, a Pac-12 only schedule? Um, just because who knows what's going to happen with the rest of the conferences. And, and I know there's concern over here about the start dates and, and stuff like that. When when are people going to be able to go back to practice? USC opens with Alabama in the first week of the season. I know uh, there, there was one coach who told me, he's like, there needs to be a, a, a standard kind of you know day where everybody starts, but I know Emmert said he's not going to put that in place, so um, I don't and know I don't, if... And I don't know that Emmert has the power to do that. Ex- exactly, and so it's it's kind of all over the place over here. You don't know kind of what's going to... When things are going to kick back up, and the states are so different. Like you said, Arizona's Arizona's kind of getting it kick-started, but California is obviously going to be probably one of the last ones to, to open things back up. Um, so it leaves a lot of leaves a lot of room to kind of make up for every part of the conference a lot of rumors yesterday flying around i know you've heard them out there too that that uh that usc alabama game is not going to go off colin colin cowherd tweeted that he had people telling him it wasn't going to happen cowherd's reputation uh on those kinds of predictions is not particularly grand but at the same time he is out there he is you know he does have some usc sources i'm sure what are you what are you hearing about that game specifically yeah, you talk to people at USC, and they said they haven't had any they haven't had any discussions with Alabama about canceling anything yet. Um, so from their side, it's still the intention of they still have the intention of playing Alabama. I don't think that's changed. Could it change over the next couple of weeks? Sure, but right now they haven't had any discussions. I think they're still kind of going through with that plan. But obviously, um, I, I've kind of wondered, you know, does it make does it make sense to play that game in J World? If there's no fans there, um, the answer is no, right? Okay, so, so, yeah. so let me ask you this: You've covered the SEC, you've covered the SWAC, I think, and 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 now you're covering the Pac-12. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of college football. You know a lot of people in college football. You're going to be humble about it, but you do. In your opinion, can college 
play games without fans for the long for the long haul for an entire season is that something that's even feasible in in, in your mind i wouldn't think so I, I would think it would need to be kind of a phased approach um i like i know people have talked about over there um but you know, i think it's something that could really you know last for the long haul i think they'd need some revenue at some point um in terms of gate i know the power fives should be fine in terms of the tv money but some of those you know the group of five schools are really gonna be hurting if, if they don't have um that gate revenue yeah the the was it the cal state schools that that closed announced they would be online only in the fall that's that san diego state included in that mm-hmm. fresno state's included in that um yeah san jose state san jose state yeah i mean fairly you know they're not power five programs with their big programs it, do you get a, i know it's very early do you get a sense for whether those programs are going to attempt to play in the fall or are they, are they, are they going to fold fold up shop how does what, what what's going to happen there when there's no online i mean when there's no in-person instruction where do they i know you don't cover those programs i know all that i'm just kind of curious what you're hearing what do they plan to do with getting the kids to campus how do they do how do they do all that it seems like they left the cal state schools it seems like they left some room open for for you know a, a potential return uh, yesterday because even though i know fresno state came out with a statement and they said you know even though you know the schools classes might be online there's some stuff like counseling the library and things like that that are going to be open and people can do in, in person um and, and some things will be mixed that it depends on how these athletic departments kind of want to what kind of loopholes they can kind of find to uh to you know, bring student athletes back on campus if if it's you know a, a mixed kind of phased in approach to pe- to having people on campus, it it may lead to um, you know athletes coming back. So I don't think they've necessarily closed the door on any of that stuff yet. So there was some pushback on that yesterday. Yeah, it seems like uh, Fresno State put out a statement saying you know they're still. <laughs> you know, going through all their options in terms of, uh, you know, bringing athletes back. Yeah, essentially, hey, we, we have to pay the bills here. I mean, it's that's the part of this that is so fascinating as we get closer and closer to what I think is a, a sort of a decision day. I mean, Adam Silver just came out with a statement a little while ago. You and I are taping this. It's 1213 Central Time, 1013 a.m. Pacific Time on um, the 13th as we tape this. And uh, Silver said, "Hey, two to four weeks. You know, gotta kind of have to say something. Um, you know, I, I think I think we're coming up on that June first date. That feels it feels like a lot has to go down right around those that day, one way or the other. Is that kind of what you sense out there as well? Yeah, but people people over here have obviously they've kind of pushed their timeline. Might be even for Clay Helton was talking about uh, on his on the Pac-12 webinar on Monday. He said six to eight weeks." And, that brings you to like July 15th and you know, you're, you're sneaking up kind of pushing up against training camp then. Um, so, um, yeah, Keith Carter has said, you know, consistently said on the, on our podcast, I don't know when it was, I'll lose track of time during this thing. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a week. I don't know, whatever he said, uh, you know, you really needed to have the players there by July the 1st. I've talked to players who have, have said, you know, they think they're going to be called back to campus at some point in June. And, and there's a lot of talk at, um, you know, about kind of on-campus quarantine camps in July. But to do that, you've you've got to make plans. You don't just, you know, blow the horn and tell everybody, hey, be here tomorrow. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I think the the Pac-12. It seems like the consensus from those coaches is they they probably need about six weeks um, to get ready for the season. Um, you know, listening to them talk on talk to the media the past couple of days. Um, so I think that would put them around. They probably need those kids back in mid July. Um, so obviously, I think around June, you know, early to mid June, we'll we'll hear something probably about what these schools decide to do. When USC reconvenes, will JT Daniels be on the team? That's a good question. Um, I know the talk from USC was the, this rule, this uh, this transfer waiver, this first time transfer waiver was going to kind of be the thing that you know probably decides it for him. But it's been a couple of weeks since that since it seemed like that wasn't going to pass. I know they haven't voted on it yet, but it seems like that it's been a few weeks, and he's still you know in the transfer portal. Nobody's really heard much. Um, so it's kind of up in the air to see if he uh, if he is, um, and you know it's been kind of kind of quiet around him over here. So it's kind of hard to tell right now. Yeah, we'd heard a little buzz about Ole Miss getting involved in that or trying to get involved in that, especially if he would be immediately eligible. But if he's not immediately eligible, then you're you're bringing in a quarterback that's got a city year, and I don't know that he would transfer to Ole Miss one way or the other. But mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's so Lane Kiffin connection there to a degree. I think Kiffin yeah. recruited him out of high school. What do, what do people out there say about Lane Kiffin back in the Power Five, back in the SEC? What are, what's kind of the sentiment about, as to how he will do? I, I think over here he's kind of aged better um, over time. I know obviously people weren't happy with him in 2013, but I think the further they kind of get removed from it, I think um, you know he was still putting out talent. He was still getting great recruiting classes. And USC's recruiting class finished 55th um, last year and a common thing you heard was about how much better they were recruiting during, you know, the sanction eras and uh, the sanction era. And, you know, Lane Kiffin was obviously a big spark behind that. Um, I think people have kind of, and he talked about it on Cowherd a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, he dealt with scholarship restrictions and stuff like that. I think people have kind of, you know, their feelings have gotten a little bit better about him over time as opposed to kind of what it was in 2012 when he had the preseason number one team and it, and it flopped and in 2013 when he got fired obviously they're angry with him then but i think people people's opinions of him have aged like you know they've kind of sympathized with him a little bit more um ever since he's he's left and they've seen what he's done as a as a coach los angeles has been sort of the epicenter of the nba this season with the the passing of Kobe Bryant in the in the helicopter accident and then the LeBron and the Lakers were, were, were playing at a really high level Kawhi and the Clippers certainly are, were a contender before this thing got shut down do you get a sense just living there talking to people in media about how confident they are that the NBA season will resume or do you think the NBA season's over initially I thought it was over when when all this happened um, I just didn't see any way they're going to come back but it seems like from you know reading some stuff it's it seems like there's some optimism that it will happen um obviously i think i think it seems like orlando's going to kind of be where the where the epicenter of it's going to be in terms of where the season and where the playoffs might take place um but you know a lot of these leagues and i know you guys have talked about it before it's kind of they have to decide what they want to do if somebody does test positive um which will happen eventually somewhere um and I think the NBA and Major League Baseball are going to have to kind of figure out what their 
what their policies and what their what their plans are going to be when 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 an athlete does test positive. So I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how the NBA handles it. And uh, obviously LeBron and Kawhi and the Clippers is going to be a big postseason for both of those teams. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. One day we're going to get back to normal when we do. A lot of parties to catch up on, a lot of get-togethers that will need to take place, that will want to take place, wedding receptions, rehearsal dinners, graduation celebrations, and more. And the Iron Horse Grill is your answer to be able to enjoy that moment. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's the largest beverage caterer in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Uh, We're also brought to you by Dead Soxie. We've been telling you about this is an incredibly strange time. We're all living in millions of us all over the world have been impacted by these unusual events. And the Dead Soxie team hasn't been immune to that situation either. Uh, They've uh, faced some tough choices, and what they've done is instead of cutting costs and jobs, they're thinking about things a little differently. They want to keep their team intact, paid, and employed, and they need your help to make it happen. In the spirit of people helping people, they've decided to run a first-of-its-kind support sale. They have slashed their prices site-wide, $6, $9, $11 a pair. They'd rather you get their socks discounted so they can keep paying their team rather than worrying about margins at times like this. It's deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with the Nest and Wild mattress. It's a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last a lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress, but not Nest and Wild. Every one is 12 inches thick. They're all American-made, and it's a uh, fantastic deal because we're throwing in a podcast discount. Go to nestandwild.com, order your mattress, enter the podcast code REBEL20, that's REBEL20, get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Brought to you by Pinnacle Trust, Pinnacle Trust. Based in Madison, Mississippi, they've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, Study your expenses and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. Cookie cutter financial planners put you in a box. Pinnacle Trust builds a box just for you. To learn more, go to pintrust.com. That's P I N N trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. And we're brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. Been with us a long time. We'd appreciate you staying uh, loyal to them as well here in these weird times. You're in a, you, you want a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan is where you need to head. It's Grenada, GrenadaNissanUSA.com. 
Oh, it's a major loss for Los Angeles. I mean, we, we were we were going to possibly have that Lakers Clippers series at the Staples Center, kind of with you know so much about Kobe and going going into the Hall of Fame, and it was going to be a really dramatic moment. It was going to be a cool moment, and for those of us who really liked the NBA, it was going to be must watch television. I mean, I had already in my in the back of my mind said, "All right, on those days, you're going to take a nap during the day so that you're not <laughs> exhausted because all those games are going to start at nine thirty yeah. Central, you know, and and now those games aren't going to if they do happen." They're going to happen in some empty gym in Orlando or something, which really feels very anticlimactic to me. I'll tell you this. What's interesting, I talked to someone in pro sports this morning for just a minute, and he said the whole somebody getting a positive test shutting the league down for two weeks is an absolute non-starter. If that's what the rule is going to be, if that's what if that's what the policy is going to be, we're just not going to get started because, that, like you said, Antonio, it's not realistic that they get through an entire month or whatever with, in, in the NBA's case, what, 30 teams all convened and nobody in one of those organizations, not necessarily a player, but a trainer or a, or a, uh, a chef or a, a locker room person or an assistant coach or whatnot. Someone's going to test positive at some point if you're testing all the time. And if that happens and you have to quarantine everyone, well, then the deal's done before you even started. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, obviously these leagues are need to have a good infrastructure in place. I think just from from reading the tea leaves, it seems like Adam Silver's kind of you know mentioned that to players in terms of a hey, hey, one positive test can't shut down everything if we're going to do this. I think it's it's just going to look really weird if they bring it back and then somebody tests positive and you have to shut it down all over again. It's basically like what's the point? So um, we'll see what the infrastructure for for those decisions are. Clay Helton strikes me as a guy that's pretty level-headed to deal with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pretty pretty calm, rational. Do you get a feel from him as to, you know, how, how confident he is that there will be a season? Uh, no, he's always kind of stuck to his line of, like, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> kind of, we'll see. We'll see what happens when when things actually happen. So he's kind of kept that same tone. Uh, he kept it the other day when he was talking to the media. Um, he's the one who actually brought up the – the conference only schedule. Um, I know it's been talked about, you know, in, in circles out here, but um, he was kind of the first coach who came out and said it like publicly, you know, I acknowledged like a hey, conference only schedule. That's, that is an option we've been discussing and with the conference commissioners and stuff like that. Um, so you, it's been hard to kind of get a read on what he actually thinks is going to happen, but you know, his tone has been kind of the same as it, as it would be with most normal stuff. Pre-pandemic, this was going to be a season that was going to be a litmus test for him, right? Yes, definitely. Now that there's a pandemic and the money situation has changed, is that does that kind of go by the boards? <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, interesting to see because I think it's um, the the big thing with Clay was he got an extension after the 2017 season after he won the Pac-12, Len Swan gave him an extension. And a lot of people's feelings out here were, why are you going to give him an extension? There's like, nobody's, nobody's competing against you guys for Clay Helton. And, you know, what other school would hire Clay Helton as a head coach? It's kind of the, the same stuff you would hear about Matt Luke, basically. Like which power five program would hire the, like Matt Luke or Clay Helton as their head coach. Um, there's very similar feelings towards both, um, within you know the Ole Miss and USC fan bases in terms of how they feel about Clay Elton and Matt Luke. And um, so they're like, you know, who are we competing against? Like what other Power 5 program would hire him as their head coach? 
Um, but he got that extension after 2023. And USC, fan, USC, it's a private school, so they don't know what the buyout situation is or what, what the actual salary is. But I just remember, I know Jimmy Sexton's Clay's agent, and it was Jimmy Sexton against Lynn Swan in, in a meeting room. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I just don't expect that going well for Lynn Swan. No, my money's uh, on got, Jimmy in that in that room, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, so when people were like, oh, his buyout can't be that big, I was just like, man, this is Jimmy Sexton. This is Jimmy against Lynn. Um, and like you said, I'm not, my money's not on uh, – my money's not on land in that situation. And so I, I think his contract might be more, his salary might be more than kind of people out here want to, want to think it is. And I think that kind of played a factor last year in deciding to keep him because you'd have to buy him out. Uh, you'd have to buy out the assistant coaching staff. You'd have to pay for the buyout for a new coach. If it's Matt Campbell or, or anybody and um, you have to bring on their new staff and USC has been a place that's been going through scandal with a gynecologist and, and you know their FBI scandals yeah. and, and everything—they've had to pay for a lot of lawyers lately and a, a lot of payoffs for stuff. Um, so there's a lot of money that they've been spending, and um, you know Clay—that was going to be another big expense. So, uh, and I think their their president came out, President Carol Folt. She came out and said, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, they're going to face an, op- an operating budget of. A deficit of like 300 to 500 million dollars so is it going to make sense to to fire your coach when he's going to have about three years left on his deal after the 2020 season it's, it's a big it's a big question mark um in terms of how this is going to impact clay because you know the contract still has three years on it after this yeah the the way contracts happen moving forward are going to be one of the real fascinating change. Hey, once we get past the are we playing or not, and then okay, here we're playing, and here's how it's going to look. One of the big storylines that's going to change for all of us is we're going to be asking ads and presidents and stuff about are you ever going to give out contracts like those again anytime soon? Does the, I mean the 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 Nick Saban Urban Meyer type of contract? I don't know mm-hmm. that those happen again for a while. But even the Lane Kiffin contract at Ole Miss, I I don't know that if if you know, if 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 the pandemic had happened in October, I don't know that Ole Miss gives Lane Kiffin the kind of contract that it gave him. Yeah, and, and do these schools move on faster? Like, do you see a Florida State moving on from Willie Taggart faster? Um, you know, if the situation's different, um, because these schools were kind of starting to fast track some of these firings, and um, for sure, will they move as quickly now? It's it's going to be interesting to see. All right, we'll finish here because I always wanted to ask you about this, and I never did. Uh, you mentioned Matt Luke. I uh, I say this as a compliment, not not to be funny. I always thought you were Matt Luke's favorite beat writer. You did great work <laughs> on him uh, when when you were in Oxford, and then you did some really good work even after you'd gone out to Los Angeles about Ole Miss and that program and stuff. I'm uh, I'm curious what your thoughts were now that it's over. When you look back at Matt Luke at at Ole Miss, were you surprised that they pulled the trigger when they did pulled the plug? I should say, and and then when you look back at it, why didn't it work? I feel like after the Egg Bowl, like all bets were off in terms of like what's going to happen because the Egg Bowl was just such an embarrassing yeah. ending to, to the season. And you know, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh man!" Like it's five and seven, a, 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 or four and eight a year after you go five and seven, and um, you know, they had, I think they're more competitive than I thought they were going to be this year. Um, I thought, you know, like like most of the people like we talked about over there, like 2019 was going to be the year that. You know, everything, all the bills were due. And, yeah. 
you know, <laughs> this team was really going to crater because they lost A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. But they were more competitive than I thought they were going to be. Um, I knew there was going to be growing pains, and I expected that was with a young team and two new coordinators. Um, but, you know, they just couldn't get the big wins or, you know, kind of that one breakthrough win that they needed. And obviously, I think, you know, a, a large part was the offense was really young. The offensive line struggled. Um, they lost a lot of talent. And um, I think that was an, an issue this year. And um, as, as to why it didn't work, I think, you know, Matt, I know Matt was very big on wanting to give those coordinators, you know, McGriff and Longo, a, you know, he, he felt like they earned their jobs when, uh, when they went through that 2017 season together, but you can't help but kind of wonder if he would do it differently. Yeah. You know, again, if, if he had the chance, um, especially like on the defense side with, with McGriff, um, because the defense was just, I mean, you've seen the draft, the, the past two drafts where it's AJ and, and DK and you have Dawson Knox and Greg Little and even Van Jefferson, even though he transferred to Florida, he was still on a 2017 team. Sure. And you look at the offensive talent they had, and it's just like, man, like Javon Patterson, much, yeah, I mean, who, who, would, yeah. who would have been playing for the Colts had he not had the knee injury, no doubt, yeah, yeah. And it's like these, like all this talent, and you went six and six. Is probably, like I think, I think the offense might have been better than like even we thought it was then. And they're scoring three points against Alabama, and you know, just really struggling against you know a team like Cal who, who didn't have the same athletes that that Ole Miss offense did, and and so. Um, you know, you kind of help a one. You kind of can't help but wonder if Matt would do it over again. You know, in 2018 with the coordinators and stuff. Um, I, I think the McIntyre uh, hire was good, um, but um, it seemed like Matt kind of really wanted a, a run-based offense, and um, it seemed like that wasn't exactly. It wasn't exactly working on all cylinders. Yeah, um, at times last year, you're you're nailing it. It's funny. He, I'd, I'd love. I've had people always people always come to you if after you've been on a beat for a long time, and they're like, "Would you like to write a book?" And and the answer for me is always no. I'm not good enough to write a book. But if I could write a book, there are like a couple of couple of things that come to mind, and I would focus on these negative times because I think you could get really deep fascinated into it and the one that always comes to mind is that last houston nut season just because it was such a circus act (laughs) but if i think if i could write a story write a book though it would be about that interim year with matt luke where looking back on it you know off the field they did a fantastic job getting the Mm -hmm. kids not to quit on them on the field maybe they kind of underachieved and then they had that weird last week where I don't think Matt Luke was getting the job. I don't think Matt Luke thought he was getting the job. And so I think he kind of made some promises over the course of that year. And maybe promises is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. But maybe he said some things that kind of pinned him into a – maybe he said some things just so that guys wouldn't quit. Guys would keep yeah. doing the job. You know, He loves Ole Miss. He wanted Ole Miss to do well. He wanted to – I think he wanted to be able to catapult from that interim job to a – whether it was South Alabama or whatever, kind of a job that I think he was in line to probably get. And then he gets that job, and all of a sudden, you've been telling everybody your whole message that whole year is, we're all in this together. All we have is Mm -hmm. each other. All we have is this room. No one quit. All that stuff. And then all of a sudden, if you fire 
McGriff and Longo and bring in your people, I think his concern was, I look immediately like a fraud, and I just got through replacing a fraud. And if I'm if I'm the fraud, then these kids are never going to trust me. And so I think you're right. I think he he felt like he he was trapped into keeping those two guys. And then when it didn't work, he got ridiculed for it. And and now there's no one else you can blame it on because you're the one that kept them. Yeah, exactly. And like I don't I don't think Matt expected to get the job. I think after Arkansas, um, you know, yeah. and they blew they blow that big lead against Arkansas at home. Um, I, don't, I think that's when kind of most people, and I think even Matt, kind of realized, hey, this you know this isn't looking likely. His, his attitude, his demeanor, kind of changed when he talked to us. Yeah, he was um, far more laid back a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's when he kind of realized, like, hey, I'm not getting this job. And then he actually got it. There's that win against Kentucky that was big. Um, they beat Mississippi State, which obviously catapulted him in, into the job. And um, there was, you know. The, everything just changed that weekend <laughs> and um, yeah because yeah. people forget you know you were there you covered it five nights earlier Ole Miss lost to Texas A&M in lackluster mm-hmm. fashion at home in front of a half-filled stadium where the most memorable moment in that entire game was Ole Miss put Tommy Tuberville up on the on the scoreboard to do the are you ready hotty toddy thing and uh and and people were just livid I, I remember coming home that night from that game and walking normally, you know, my phone doesn't ring after a game. Normally, it's just you know, it's especially late at night like that. And I poured a bourbon just to kind of unwind. And <laughs> two hours later, I was off the phone with people, and I'm working on Dave Doran at that point. I mean, I there was yeah. absolutely no part of me that night, five nights before the Egg Bowl, no part of me at all that believed that Matt Luke. Not only was he not going to get the job, I didn't even believe Matt Luke was in the top five candidates, if there were five candidates. Mm-hmm. I know. I think Ross said he spoke to to eight guys, and I was thinking. I know. Obviously, you heard about Doran. You heard about. You know, even back then, you were hearing a little like um, at the early at the early parts about Mike McIntyre and, and yeah. stuff like that. Willie, Willie Taggart, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you you mentioned you know the A and M game and that atmosphere and kind of how it was. You know, the atmosphere was kind of changing at that point. People were kind of getting dissatisfied and. Um, you know, two years later and the fact that that kind of general feeling never improved, uh, kind of didn't, didn't really make it a surprise that, you know, he was fired, you know, after last season and especially the way, you know, the egg bowl ended. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Hey, listen, stay safe. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll touch base again soon. And when the, uh, when the PAC 12 makes a decision or something, I'm going to holler back at you. Hope we can get you back on. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. Okay. Take care. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. So you're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the float down option where you can lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford, also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window, and GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visit OxfordMS.com is the website. 
Click the very top, see how to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside, with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tip Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent or ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've getting picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more, text or call 662-681-6241. Big thanks to Antonio for his time on a busy day on the USC beat. Thanks to him for taking some of that uh, day and spending it with us. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I know that you will enjoy the one coming up as well. Zach Barry and uh, his father-in-law, Tommy West, joined me earlier today for a, a long conversation, a lot of fun. I think you, uh, you'll you get a kick out of it at times, very insightful at times as well. I think you'll really enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Zach Barry and Tommy West on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Middle Tennessee defensive line coach Tommy West and uh, Zach Barry join us here on the podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? Great, great. Doing well, Neil. Just uh, watching the rain fall. Oh, is it raining there? It's uh, There's no rain here. I think the rain's coming later in the week. I think it's supposed to rain all weekend, but today it's actually fairly pleasant here in, in Oxford. As long as the yard work's done, I don't care if it rains. <laughs> I got mine done on Saturday. I think that was my Mother's Day present to my wife. That's really all she wanted was get the yard work done. So I was like, oh, that's easy enough. So I, I, I got that done. Uh, all right, Tommy, thanks so much for being with us. I'm, I'm, we're, we're gonna, we'll probably go down memory lane a little bit and, and, and have some fun. But before we do that, I, I am absolutely fascinated with sort of the the process of what's happening this, this summer. You've You've been a football coach for as long as I can remember. I mean, I, I remember when you were at, at Clemson and at Memphis and, and, and all over the place. So you've been doing this a long time. This has to feel like a um, kind of a bizarre feeling right now for you as a coach. You haven't had your hands on your players since since March. You, you, you're, you're going into a summer of, of unknowns and and I, I guess sort of getting ready for a season that you, you – you hope will happen. You're not positive will happen. You think will happen, but you're not sure when it happens and what it looks like. And it's got to just be for someone like you. And, and I don't mean this as a negative at all, but I mean, we are all creatures of habit and, and, and football coaches are certainly creatures of habit. It has to feel really odd. Yeah. You, you just took the words creatures of habit. That's, that's what we all are. And this is, this is really different. Um, obviously I, I've never been through it. And then I've been doing it, uh, probably about twice as long as y'all are old. Um, so 40 years in this business and this this is as different as anything i've ever seen just the from a preparation standpoint that, that's what uh i mean we we can't do anything right now and and the you know we worried about them uh, academically that was the number one concern when it all started and we sent them home because you know we we got kids that have never taken classes online before yeah. and now all of a sudden we got kids living in places where they don't have wi-fi 
Um, so, I mean, we were worried about that. We've, we've got through that, and our kids did, did really did a good job with that. But now we have no idea uh, what kind of condition they're in, and, and have they gained weight? Have they lost weight? Have they, you know, so we just have to wait and see you know, what, what the future holds. How much contact do you have with your players? Because you're right, some guys are, are in places where they don't have access to, to, to Wi-Fi. They certainly don't have access to strong Wi-Fi, reliable Wi-Fi. And then you're, I know you guys are sending them workouts and stuff, but correct me if I'm wrong, you're not allowed, they're not allowed to feed, give you feedback on those. I mean, it, are you just kind of operating in the dark? It, well, we meet with them. Uh, we can meet with them on Zoom. Now, it just opened up this week. Uh, prior to this week, we couldn't have football meetings per se. Uh, they were uh, they had to be academic oriented. Uh, but starting this week now, we we've opened up to where we can now have. I can't, I can't remember exactly. I think it's maybe two hours a week uh, of football meetings. But we I haven't done any of that with our guys because. I mean, we don't we don't have any idea right now when we're going to get them back. What are you hearing as to when you'll get them back? Uh, my guess is uh, six weeks prior to the opening game. Uh, Zach and I were talking this weekend. They uh, the NCAA wanted each conference to do a four week, five week, and six week plan prior to the opening game. Uh, so all the conferences submitted their plans. And everybody was for a six-week uh, plan, and that's what they've adopted. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, we're we're coming up with a plan for if we get them back in June. But I I, I don't see how we can bring them back if we don't have any students. If, we can, if we're not allowing students on campus, I don't see how we can bring players back. Yeah, I have so many questions on this, and I promise, but we won't stay on this forever. But I, I no, find fine. I find this topic to be fascinating. You, so you've you've been coaching for forty years. I dare say you would agree with this. The the sport has become certainly at the college level more year round today than it was when you got started forty years ago. Oh, unbelievable! Uh, you know the, the the difference there from a conditioning standpoint is that used to two a days uh, back in the day two a days were to get the team in shape. Uh, to get players physically in condition sure. because we didn't have uh, summer workouts and all the strength coaches and, and all that. Now uh, these guys are, are in shape year round. And uh, that's why, that's why really for all practical purposes, there are no more two a days. I mean, we do a practice and then we have a walkthrough, but nobody, nobody does two a days anymore because we don't have to, uh, we don't have to get them in shape anymore. They're in shape when we get them. I've had people in, in the field, in the, in the coaching industry, tell me, um, I don't want to name names because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I've, <laughs> a Big Ten coach that I talked to, mm-hmm. uh, he told me, he said, you know, what we're going to find out, he said, you know, we're all, we all want to get our hands on them and work them, work them, work them, but what we're going to find out is who can be smart. We're going to find out who is flexible, who can assess, hey, here's where we are, and here's how we get to where we need to be, but we got to do this carefully. we got to do it the right way because – and I know what people say, well, it doesn't matter, but it does. I mean, everybody cares what people think. All eyes are going to be on everyone when you get started because the, the media is going to be just waiting for someone to screw it up so they can pounce. That's just the way it appears to be. That's right. And so we're, we're going to find out who kind of who's flexible and in the words of that Big Ten coach, who's a robot. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, it's, our mentality, uh, 
right or wrong is always, and I'm, I'm probably all coaches are. We're, we're always looking for that angle and looking for a way to get ahead, and that, that's just the way we're wired. And I think in this time that that's the wrong approach. I think we better take our time to get back into this deal, uh, and then see where it goes. But 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 being smart is the. I think experience will. Uh, We'll probably rule out the the head coaches that have got more experience, and uh, you know I can remember being. You, you said the word smart, and there's a difference in being tough and being smart. And the smart people, uh, which everybody I ever worked for that was Coach Bryant people, uh, you know I played for Bill Battle, who was a Coach Bryant guy. I worked for Steve Sloan. I've, I've just worked for a lot of. Uh, Danny Ford for nine years was a coach Ford, uh, uh, coach Bryant guy. And they all talked about how smart he was, that he changed with times, that he understood. Was he tough? Yeah, he was tough. But he knew how to change with the times, and that's what's going to have to happen here, I think. You've you've coached, as you mentioned, you've coached at the Power Five level. You've coached at the Group of Five level. You've been kind of all around. So you you probably know where I'm going here. There's a lot of talk about at the Power Five level, at least, hey, you know, it, with the, the TV money is so big that – if it means playing games without fans, we'll play games without fans. If that's what has to be done, then there's people that push back on that. And I, I honestly, I'm not one that's pushing back necessarily. I just look at it optically and say, man, that's a weird look. I mean, if, if the stadium's not safe for the student, <laughs> if it's not safe for the parents and the friends and the family, and it's not safe for the student bodies that the kids represent, how can you say it's safe for the kids? You've been around college football a long time. What is your thought about college football games played without fans? Well, uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. There's way too much money involved. So I, I, I don't see any way we don't play unless something crazy happens. Okay. I, I'm kind of the Herb Street mentality that the more you look at this deal, until there is a vaccine, it, I don't know how you put people in the stadiums. So, and they're saying, you know, there won't be a vaccine, you know, for at least the first of the year. So, I don't know. I mean, I know they have talked about uh, a season that started in February. That is not what they want to do. Uh, but I know that has been talked about. I've talked to a couple of older coaches uh, who say, hey, you know, if I'm honest, I don't know what to believe. You know, I don't know what to what, what, what I read, what what to believe from what I hear, what to believe. But I'm an older guy, which if if I believe what they say, it makes me a little more susceptible in that environment. Do you, as a as a, a veteran coach, worry about that part of it at all? Absolutely. I mean, I'm 65 years old and and a heart patient. I mean, I've had open heart surgery, so uh, I'm certainly one of them that's at risk. And uh, you know, I got two players that have. Uh, that have been positive. Uh, so, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to have to be some, uh, you know, there's going to have to be some precautions taken. How, how, how are, were those players that, that tested positive? Are they okay now? They're fine. They're fine. Uh, one of them, it, both his mom and dad, uh, were both positive. He had been sick, uh, like two weeks before. So we're, we're sure that, you know, that that's probably what happened to him. So, but yeah, there's there's going to have to be some precautions. I mean, I don't think any of us are just going to jump back in it. I don't know if they'll, you know, there's been talk of you know that they'll take their uh, temperatures and all, all that good stuff. But but I don't in, in a football locker room. I mean, there's only so much space. Yeah, and and, and there's only yeah you can't socially distance on a football no. field. It's, it's, it's the no, game, I mean, the game's it, not played that way. 
No, I mean, it's a contact sport, like we've always said. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it'll be interesting. Um, when you talk to players, I'm sure, I'm sure you have some contact with parents. You, you, you don't stay in, you don't stay in the business as long as you have without having people skills. That, that's, that's reality. Uh, so when you talk to families and that kind of thing, how much concern, if any, do you hear from parents about, Hey, what, what, what is this going to look like? How are, how are you going to keep, how are we going to keep uh, my son safe? That kind of thing. That's uh that's funny. I was talking to one of the uh, kids that I signed this year, uh, talking to his dad, his dad played for me at Clemson, uh, back in the eighties when I was assistant there. Uh, but, and that's what we were talking about when we thought we'd get it going. And, and I told him, I said, look, Rodney, to be honest, you probably know as much as I do right now. I can speculate on what I think is going to happen, but I don't, I don't think any of us know, uh, exactly what's going to happen. I, I'm not sure they know at the, at the, at the NCAA right now, what's going to happen. Yeah. They, that, uh, but you hit it right. Uh, when you said, uh, communication in our business is, is the key. If you can't, if you can't communicate in our business, then, then you can't be a coach because every day is you're communicating with whether it's, whether it's, uh, alumni, whether it's players, whether it's other coaches, it, it, we're in a communication business. You touched on this. You you obviously uh, had you, you mentioned some of the the people that you've worked for and and people that you've been connected to. How much has coaching changed over the last thirty forty years? Oh man, uh, well the whole the whole thing. Uh, coaching uh, is is really different. You know, we went through uh, again back in the day. You know, the ball coach had a t shirt that had some tobacco stains on it and a whistle around his neck and a hat on his head. And that was a, that was a football coach. And uh, then all of a sudden the ADs decided that's not what they wanted. Uh, and it really came around about the time the NCAA started uh, putting out some penalties. They didn't want to portray that image of the old tobacco-chewing, uh, hard-nosed football coach. So then it became coat and tie guys. The guys that looked good in coat and ties were all of a sudden getting jobs. It became more of an IBM type type deal and now i think it's kind of loosened back up now there's there's enough money in it now uh and the ad's are making enough money now to where they don't want to lose their job either so uh you better go hire the best guy available tommy zach here thanks again for for joining us i i want to start kind of running through the uh the illustrious career that you've had you, you mentioned over 40 years of coaching uh i don't know if many people are aware of this um but how was your year in Oxford back in 1979. I had a great year in Oxford. That was uh, when I got through playing. Uh, I knew I wanted. I knew I wanted to be a coach, and and so I went to White County High School in Sparta, Tennessee, for one year, and then uh, went to Ole Miss with Steve Sloan, and uh, and and loved it. Loved it there that year. Had had a great time. Uh, we didn't have a great team, although we came back at the end. I don't, you remember John Forcade was our quarterback, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but I had a good time. It, it was it was a really good year. When's the last time you were in Oxford? It's been a while since I've been in <laughs> Oxford. I, probably the last time we played there when I was at Memphis. Uh, yeah, that's probably the last time I've been there. Yeah. Uh, so fast forward a little bit. We we've talked about this before. Uh, first head coaching job at UT Chat, nineteen ninety three. Uh, you had a, a pretty decent receiver there. Uh, that you recruited. Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like for uh, 
<laughs> being on a team with with Terrell Owens? Uh, well, that's a that's a great story. He uh, when I got there, we were on a when I took that job, they were on like a eight game losing streak, and uh, I was looking at our team and and I had seen Terrell Owens. He had been kicked off the team by the former coach, and after about three or four of the winter workouts. I told one of the assistant coaches, I said, go find that uh, Owens kid and get him in my office. <laughs> I said, he, he, he by far looks better than anybody we got out here on our team. So <laughs> he, he was playing basketball. that He had been kicked off football but was playing basketball. And so I got him up in my office and talked to him and, you know, kind of read him the right act and said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you back. I mean, he's 6'4", he's 210 pounds. <laughs> And uh, and I've always said the best decision I ever made in coaching was we uh, we had been beaten forty nine to nothing. We were terrible the week before by Georgia Southern, and now we're playing Marshall, who was number one in the country, and uh, at our place. And uh, he had been missing school and study hall, and so I had him in my office, and I was, I was going to kick him off off the team and uh, or suspend him for a while, and. After talking to him, I made the decision to let him play. And he caught four touchdown passes, and, and we beat Marshall, the number one team in the country, probably the biggest win they'd ever had. So I said letting him play in that game was probably the biggest decision I ever made. Um, you, you, mentioned coaching at, you mentioned coaching at Clemson. Uh, you yep. were there for, uh, for six seasons. Uh, there, there was an assistant as well before you were the head coach. Yeah. And then uh, we obviously know about all the success you had at Memphis. So, you know, changing things up a bit. Um, so you've been in the Carolinas. You've been in Memphis. Which barbecue do you prefer? Oh, that's uh, a I'm, a Tennessee, I'm a Tennessee barbecue guy. I mean, you can't beat Memphis for barbecue, in my opinion. I mean, that, Memphis is the first place I ever had dry ribs. I was going to ask you, are you dry, a dry rib guy or a wet I'm, rib guy? I'm dry, but I grew up, uh, you know, wet ribs. Never heard of dry ribs till, uh, well, really, till when I was playing at Tennessee and we played in the Liberty Bowl one year, and we all went to Rendezvous to eat, and I was like, God, man, these things are awesome. <laughs> and then, you know, when, then when I got now, I, I wouldn't do anything but dry. So you don't like the Carolina vinegar-based stuff? Now, when you're when you're coaching at Clemson, did you have to fake it a few times on the on the recruiting trail on the on the on the circuit trail? Oh yeah. Well, well, you have to fake it in recruiting now. I, I tell you, this, this is a great story. Uh, I take Coach Ford with me to go into a home in Atlanta, and uh, so during the visit, the mom says, uh, "Coach, would y'all like some uh, some cake?" And Coach Ford said, I'd love some cake. And I go, no, nah, I'm good. I said, we just finished eating. I'm, I'm, I'm. So we get back out in the car after the visit. And he looks at me and he says, don't ever do that again. <laughs> I said, don't, don't do what? He said, don't ever turn down something to eat. I don't give a damn. If you want it, like it, you take. She probably stayed up cooking, doing that cake for us. And then you, don't, you always eat whatever they got. <laughs> So it's funny you bring this up because this is something I love to talk to coaches about because I'm a former fat guy and so I'm super scared of of frankly calories and and um so when you guys go out on the road recruiting sometimes you have four or five dinners in a day how do you how do you sort of prepare for that when you're you know you, you go to one kid's home at five and like you said She's cooked dinner for everybody. This is a big moment in their lives. The uh, coaching staff is coming in to recruit their child. And then you're going to another place at 630 and another place at 830. And it's the same thing in all those places. How do you 
How do you sort of manage that? Well, you, you don't. You gain, like I said, I gain and lose 20 pounds every year. I mean, recruiting kills you. By the end of recruiting, you can barely get in your pants. That's why, that's why all coaches are wearing sweatpants at the end of recruiting. <laughs> I know it's the truth. It just, it, it, it cracks me oh, up. It it's, is. So do you, when, when you're, during the day, when you know you've got these visits that night, do you have to be, do you, do you almost fast or do you, do you try to, how do you, how do you eat like in the morning or at, at lunchtime when you're, when you do have some, some ability to sort of choose your own, your own deal? Well, that's what I do. I don't eat, uh, I don't eat till the afternoons. I skip breakfast and lunch during during recruiting. And then if you don't get fed, you know now you're you're back at the uh, hotel and you're ordering a pizza at at ten thirty or eleven o'clock at night because you're starving to death. Uh, so it's it's a vicious cycle now. Recruiting is as far as your health. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Been telling you for a while that uh, travel's going to get back to normal. It's not there yet, but we're headed in that direction. I got a note from John just the other day. He was letting me know about some uh, things that are either opened or are about to open out there. If you want to interested in those and you want to get in touch with him, uh, check out Kohler, Wisconsin. Four golf courses just opened on April the 24th. Uh, great deals there in Kohler. The Watercolor Inn in Seaside, Florida, uh, it, it opened on May 1st. Beach access, pools as well. Uh, the Kiswa Island in uh, South Carolina, all the hotels, the villas and the homes, they opened on uh, they opened on May the 16th. Two golf courses, uh, pools, beaches, also in South Carolina in Hilton Head, the Sea Pines Resort uh, there in Hilton Head, hotels, uh, homes May the sixteenth. Golf courses, pools, beaches opening as well. And then, uh, if you want a little something more, a little more exotic in uh, the British Virgin Islands, sailboat rentals with full crew. Uh, all of that stuff opening up on June the second. Up to three couples, it's a total of fourteen thousand five hundred dollars, all inclusive. If you want to get away and enjoy travel, things are opening up. You want to get in touch with John nine zero one four nine four three three eight seven. Or send him an email, jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the benefit of, the benefits of home. Uh, all the comforts and benefits that you're used to from the big mega banks, except they give you a personal touch. All the technology and products you want, but there's no buttons to push, no wait. You get a live person when you call. Great customer service at OUB. You also get Kasasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. And with it, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account. Now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. Amber brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. 
The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors. She sponsors my weekly mailbag on rebelgrove.com, and she can also serve you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. To get in touch with Whitney, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. How much has recruiting changed beyond the... Uh, you know, mama's fixing a, a, a chocolate pie. But beyond that, the, the kids have so much more access to information today than they ever have before. It's, you know, back in the day, I'm guessing you probably could have fooled a few of them with who you were recruiting and what you Absolutely. Were, you, you, it's hard to pull that off now, right? Can't do it. Recruiting is, is totally different. Uh, it's really, that that's probably the part of, being an older coach now that's probably the part that not the not just the recruiting but just the way it is now one example would be an offer is not an offer anymore i mean when, when i grew up if you if i offered you a scholarship then then that was my word and i stayed at my word and now an offer can mean uh we're going to offer you a scholarship and you come to camp it's a camp offer uh you know this is an offer but it's not a committable offer so if you want to commit, you can't commit, but yet we're off in your scut. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. But uh, so getting used to that, you know, and then now, of course, everything's social media. Um, I, I, I think the thing that, that, that I know what I try to do still is it's, they've kind of taken the parents out of recruiting and, and cell phones did it because back in my day, I, I, I had a hard time getting the kid on the phone because there was one phone in the house. You call the house, the kid's never there, so you talk to the mother or the grandmother or the dad or whoever they're guarding. What You talk to them a lot more than you did the kid, but you built a great relationship with the person that you felt like was going to help make the decision. Now, with every kid having a cell phone, not many young coaches, I don't think young coaches do a very good job of involving the parents, uh, and, that, and that's where I think you can get an advantage right now. What about the seven-on-seven seven deal that has developed over the years? A lot of times the seven-on-seven seven coach is as influential as the high school coach and maybe more so. How much do you yeah. see that when you're, when you're out? Well, it, with, with coaches now, it's a little bit different there too. Uh, you know, uh, years ago now, the high school coach was very influential yeah. on kids. And they still are in some cases. But I don't, I don't think it's near as much now. Uh, like you said, because they can get a lot of the information on their own now. We're used to the high, high school coach would be the guy to give them all the information. I don't know that that high school coaches, I've always said this lately, that I'm not sure they can get the player for you. Now, they can probably keep him from coming by feeding him some negative, but uh, I, I'm not sure that there's there's that much now to where the high school coach really can tell the kid where to go. You mentioned uh, that that game when when you were uh, when you beat 
excuse me, when you beat uh, Marshall with with uh, at UT Chat, when you were at Memphis, you beat one of Ole Miss's really good teams, Eli Manning's senior year. That that I think it was the first game of the season, or it was super early in the season. Yeah. Uh, you you got what do you remember from that game? What do you remember about preparing for Eli Manning? Uh, well, the thing I took from him when we left was we we picked him twice in the fourth quarter to win the game. Uh, that was unusual, you know. But uh, they had a great team. I, I thought they had a really really good team. That was a game. It's funny how games are. That that was a game where it was almost like we were meant to win that game. Uh, everything we did, we probably ran five, six trick plays in the game, all of them hit 100%, and that never happens. Uh, uh, they had a chance to really put the game out of reach, and kid drops a pass right in his hands for a touchdown. Uh, it was just it was one of those games to where things kind of fell our way. We played hard and all that good stuff, but, you know, I've lost games too to where I felt like, you know, we played good enough to win but didn't win it. Um, it was funny. I remember talking to David Cutcliffe after it, and uh, – because, see, they, they didn't lose but three games that year. They, they right. lost to us, and I want to think it was Oklahoma State and LSU. They missed a field goal at the end of the LSU game uh, to beat LSU, and those are the only games they lost. But David asked me, he says, uh, uh, are, are, are we that bad after the game when we're sitting in a, a tunnel there talking? And uh, I said, no, you're not that bad, but, but you don't got a guy like 20. You don't got a guy like D'Angelo. Because he had had uh, Joe Gunn and, and – uh, Deuce McAllister. Deuce. He'd had Deuce and then Joe Gunn right after him, and he didn't have those guys. He didn't have a great back. Well, Tommy, that's that's something – I'm glad you brought that up because we've been talking about that the last couple weeks, just uh, trying to rummage up content and talk about different things. But that 03 Ole Miss team could have potentially had Frank Gore in the backfield. Oh, Um, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, so this was way before the internet and you know, was big and recruiting was as big as it is now. But Frank Gore and Roscoe Parrish, who played receiver at Miami, were both committed to Ole Miss, and they flipped the morning of signing day. So wow. that Ole Miss team would have looked a lot different if Frank Gore's in the backfield and you've got a slot guy like Roscoe Parrish on the same field with Chris Collins and Tay Biddle and the rest of those guys. But, um, you know, talking about recruiting, you, you, you brought up D'Angelo just now. I mean, ar- arguably one of the – Greatest running backs that has been in, you know, the last ten years, fifteen years in college football, and you know, has to be in the Hall of Fame at Memphis if he's not already. You think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's in there. Yeah. Okay. All right. He's already in there. Um, what was what was recruiting him like in in you know being from Arkansas and going over there and finding him? It was uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, D'Angelo. Uh, Took four visits. Uh, he came to us. He went to Ole Miss. He went to Iowa, and he went to Arkansas. And uh, nobody knew uh, what he was going to do. Rich Basaccia, uh, that was on my staff at uh, at Clemson, was at Ole Miss at the time. He calls me the night before signing day and says, "Hey, I need your help." I said, "Yeah, what's up?" And he goes, "Would you talk to D'Angelo Williams for us?" And I said, "Why would I do that?" <laughs> and he said, well, y'all are out of it. <laughs> and I go, well, I don't think we're out of it, Rich. He goes, I'm, I'm just telling you, y'all are out of it. And I said, well, I, no, I won't do that because because uh, I'm not ready to give up on him yet. So the next day, he goes into the, uh, into the library to, for the signing, 
and he's and he's going to sign with Arkansas. And so Arkansas's papers are laying there. He sits down at the table and writes N O, where oh, his man. name's supposed to go, and doesn't sign. And so then it goes on for almost a month after that. And he he tried, you know, he re, he came back on his own, and took visits to to each place, and then you know I think we probably had enough patience. He, the reason we got him was, you know, he, I, I I would tell him all the time. I say, hey, you can go to Arkansas and you can be like this back or that back or or you know be like McFadden or be like Felix or be like you know all the backs that they've had. Or you can go to Ole Miss and be like Deuce and be like Joe Gunn, be like all the backs they've had. Or you can come here and be the guy. You know, you, you, when you get famous, you, 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 they say one word. And, you know, if you say Shaq or, or if you say Madonna or you, you, Dion or, you know, one word and they know who you are. I said, you come here and, and say D'Angelo in 20 years and everybody in this town will know who it is. And he kind of bought into that. Is yeah, there, I, is there I was a, say, go ahead, go ahead know, Zach, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I was curious how it went, Tommy, because I pulled up his profile here on our on our website, and he didn't commit until that summer. So it, it went on for a while. Oh, yeah, it went on for a good while. Uh, and, shoot, I can remember Randy Feetner, uh, who's the coordinator now to Steelers, uh, was our coordinator, and uh, he was his main uh, recruiter. And Randy would get so frustrated with him. I mean, he'd come in because we that, we only got one call a week after that. So he would come. He said, "I'm gonna kill him. I'm, I'm gonna kill." I said, "No, no, no, no. Just leave. Him. I got him this week. I'll call him this week. Just leave him. You leave him alone." And, and uh, it was it was crazy. I mean, it, it was really nuts. But it, it sure paid off. The patience paid off for us because what a great player. Did you know he was going to be that great of a player? I mean, I know coaches, when they recruit a guy, you have high hopes. But was that one of those deals where you knew it? He, he Yeah. Uh, no, nah, I don't think – I can't say I knew he was going to be that good. I mean, I, I got. I, I haven't looked it up, but he, he, may, he probably still is the uh, all-time, uh, all-purpose. He was leading the, led the NCAA ever. He's probably still number one at that for uh, total yardage, but uh, yeah, he he was you know he's a compact guy, five eleven, about two ten, and but strong as an ox and and could fly. Now he was really fast, great vision, and as hard a worker as I've ever been around. We had to change our practice. Uh, he his thing was every time he touched the ball in practice, he scored. So if you were on the twenty coming out, he ran eighty yards. And, you know, then you got to wait on him to get back. So we had to start practicing from the 25-yard line going in where he because he was going to take it and score. That was his bag. You know, I'm going to score every time I touch it. But hard, hard worker, great, great kid. Uh, really was a pleasure to, to coach. He's obviously one of your big recruiting wins. Is there a recruiting loss that to this day still sort of sticks with you? Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of those. You always <laughs> remember those. Uh yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of who would be the biggest name. That uh, there was one in Atlanta that, that I lost to Auburn. That uh, Ricky Tucker that that killed me. Uh, and we thought it was Notre Dame, and we'd beaten them. And then anyway, uh, yeah, y'all, you always ways look at that. I, I was thinking back before we did this thing. I was thinking this morning about all the players and. The, and uh, people that – it's funny how it works. Uh, like we, we were recruiting Patrick Sapp 
who was a quarterback out of Jacksonville and uh, at Clemson. And Sapp's best buddy wanted to go with him, and Sapp wanted his best buddy to, to go with him. So we end up deciding that we'll take the best buddy too. Well, the best buddy got put in the Hall of Fame, Brian Dawkins, um, last year. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, how, that's how scientific recruiting is. We take, we take Dawkins to get Sapp, and then Dawkins up being a, a Hall of Fame player in the NFL. Tommy, we talked about this uh, a couple months ago about recruiting and how um, you were actually talking about, I think it was a recruit in Georgia or something at the time when you were at Clemson, but how some recruits, they are just dead set on going to a certain school, whether it's the home state school, uh, the hometown school, or, or if it's something they grew up on. And, and I guess, could you maybe in your experience recruiting and you know how often do you deal with that where regardless of how hard you work and how hard you you build the relationship with the family but if that that favorite school comes in at the at the 11th hour there's just nothing you can do is that something that you encounter a lot yeah it happens uh in in south carolina uh on on average there's going to be about 15 guys that uh that can make a difference in your program at that level at Clemson and South Carolina. And usually it'll be somewhere in the six and six. And, and then there'll be two or three that are going to leave the state. But in, in that state, you kind of know certain towns are, are, are South Carolina towns and certain towns are Spartanburg was a Clemson town. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole, the 14 years I spent at Clemson, I don't think we ever lost a kid out of Spartanburg. Uh, Greenwood is a South Carolina town. Uh, I don't think we ever got one out of, out of Greenwood. It's just funny, you know, how it works. But, yeah, it happens because I remember I, I recruited a guy in Winder, Georgia at Clemson named Hiawatha Berry that was a really, really good player. And, and this I literally – this was when you could go every week. And every Friday of his high school se- – of the whole season, now he played in two playoff games, 12 straight Fridays I ate pregame meal with their team, sitting with their coaches uh, at there. Uh, a week after their season's over, he, he commits to Georgia. And they were, they, they were never there. I mean, I saw every game. I was at every – and he goes to Georgia. And had a great relationship. His daddy was one of the coaches, and uh, but you know he he grew up going to Georgia. Yeah, it, it's it, I've always found just some of the the recruiting stuff to be just kind of crazy. As as a coach, it, it, it it's is it similar to when you're coaching in a season? You, you've got to learn how to sort of let a loss go and move and, and move on. Otherwise, the one loss ends up being two or three. Is it the same thing in recruiting? When you lose a kid, you've just got to let it go and move on. Absolutely, and uh, it's hard to do because whether you like it or not, and, and probably it's not as bad now, but because you, you can't talk to them as much and be there as much as as you used to could. Uh, but boy, you would, I would get emotionally involved in it, and and it gets personal. That recruiting, it, that's where I decided I was going to make my name. There are a lot of good coaches, but you could be, you know, if you're ever going to get a head coaching job, I thought I had to be the best recruiter on the staff, first off, and then I had to be the best recruiter in our conference um, if I was ever going to have a shot to be. So that was kind of my bag. So, so that, and, it, and it also, 
is a way to compete because now it's you against somebody else even though it's a school but you're recruiting against you know whoever it is recruiting for the other school so that was a way i thought to compete where you know it's 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 harder in the games because you put you're just putting your players out there against their players you talk about competing and um you got to interact and be around one of the one of the most fiercest competitors in in the sport of football uh, earlier this year uh, i saw that coach belichick came out to to murfreesboro and did a workout with uh with one of your defensive linemen, Tyshawn Render, how, how was that? Uh, just being around him and kind of—I don't know if you've ever been around him before, but was that uh, the one that was in the rain? It was pouring down rain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had not been around him before, and and man, what an honor! He—he uh, he was uh, a lot different than what I thought he would be. Uh, he was very cordial, very friendly, uh, almost outgoing. Uh, and he, nothing like the image that is that he portrays that you know that's his image on television uh but really good and then to have the opportunity uh, I, I had no idea how it was going to go and and so we get out on the field well we were, we sat in the locker room and talked for a little while and and then uh render got there and and uh he said you ready i said okay so we go out on the field and he goes, Tommy, why don't you just take him through your uh, individual drills, and I'll just kind of watch him work out. I said, okay. So we go through all our drills, and then he had two or three drills that, that he wanted to see him do. And then we went to the film room, and he he already knew now what games he wanted. He had two games and then a, a special teams play from like two years before that he wanted to see. So he had done his homework. Uh, before he even got here on a guy that's that you know was going to be a late round pick so but but it was great sitting in watching film with him and hit listening to the questions that he was asking render uh really 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 interesting was the player sort of intimidated i mean he looks on, he looks on tv on uh, sundays and i mean that's that's you know maybe the maybe the greatest nfl coach of all time yeah no render did a great job uh he really did. I think, well, you know, Render signed with the Dolphins, and uh, the reason he went with them was they, they guaranteed him money, which usually you don't get a lot of guaranteed money as a free agent. And But now that I look back at it, you know, the coach at Miami is a Belichick guy. Yeah. So I guarantee you Belichick called him and told him, said, you, you need to take this guy. I worked him out, da 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 and that's why it happened the way it happened. Talking about competitors and, and great coaches, you were at Clemson. Uh, do you think that Dabo Sweeney is kind of the next in line to kind of take over for Nick Saban whenever he's done? And and Neil and I talk about this all the time. Do you think he stays at Clemson, or do you think that he gets dragged back to Tuscaloosa? I think he'll stay at Clemson. Uh, I don't know why he would leave. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I, I think he'd be nuts to leave. One, I mean, you're going to have a hard time now following Nick Saban uh a real hard time <laughs> yeah and but but the the biggest thing to me is why why you stay at clemson uh, i mean one, you got enough money uh, period but but the conference is the reason you stay at clemson i mean you're gonna have a lot easier time doing it there getting in the i'm not saying winning at all but but getting there i mean you, they're gonna win that league most of the time now and and it's and it's been that way for a long time 
there's been some dips and but but Clemson uh, forever and ever was the the football school in that con- in a basketball conference. Now, now that they've added, you know, some people. Now that they added Miami, those people, it's a little bit different. But but I, I it, it's certainly not like playing in the SEC. How much do you know? So, how much do you know, Tommy, about Lane Kiffin, and 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 how how well do you know him? I, I would suspect you've you've been. In, you've crossed paths with his uh, with his father at times during during your career, but I'm curious what you know about uh, Lane, and then what your thoughts are on the fit for him at Ole Miss. Well, I, I know his dad really well. His dad and I've uh, talked ball way back. Uh, I know Lane. I, I don't know him well. Uh, we competed uh, when I was at Memphis, and he was at Tennessee. Uh, we competed against each other, but uh, he does a good job. Uh, you know, of course, we played him here uh, every year, uh, and and he does a really good job, in particular offensively, and he he'll get enough skilled players. And, well, Ole Miss has had skilled players. The 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 problem in to me has always been I think Ole Miss is smart if they stay in a spread type of offense. It's the same philosophy that I took at at, at Memphis. It, you're kind of in an area where it's hard to get that big, great lineman. There's not a lot of them, but there's skill everywhere. And so try to win with skill. Try to win. I, I, I think it's hard. it would be hard for Ole Miss to try to win the conventional way of lining up, running the ball, playing defense, and, and being great special teams. But they can be really good with skill. And that's how we did it at Memphis. We built it around skill and not around an offensive line. Uh to make it happen, and and you can get a quarterback. They've shown that, uh, which is the key to all of it. But uh, there's just not enough linemen, I don't think, here. You know, there's more linemen north, and what linemen there are here, I'm talking about the great linemen. Uh, I guess they got the biggest one Ole Miss has gotten. They got Orr uh, out of Memphis uh, and Tunsil. Uh, but – I just think it's it's they're in an area where they can win with skill, so I think it's a good hire. I'm I'm curious to to ask you this, and and it's it's still on YouTube, and it, it lives in infamy there. And you became you know almost like a cult hero with, with everything and and how it went down. But you know your your final press conference at Memphis and how you really were critical of of the university, and and you told them that they had to commit and, and invest in football and and I thought that that was something that was you know w- was a great message not only to the to the university but to the rest of the country and I think you see the emergence of the group of five and um, a lot you know the UCFs the the Houston's the um, you know the navies the Memphises. I mean do you think that that was something that not only resonated with with everybody at Memphis and and you've seen that you know, guys, Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell, who just left. Do you think that that was something that that really clicked with them when when you kind of let them know how you felt? I think so. I think the first thing it did was it told every athletic director, "Don't ever give a fired coach a microphone." <laughs> uh, so, but no, you know that thing kind of started, and I had no intentions of that uh, when I went up, when I went up to do the press conference that. that no intentions. I'd not even thought about that. But then the more the press conference went, and and I was looking around at some of the media people, and and uh, you know that that had been kind of critical at times, and 
And I'm like, you know, that's when I said to them, I said, look, look, y'all need to see how you can help this place. I mean, this Memphis is is in Memphis. It's the Memphis school. It may not be where everybody went, but it is a, the hometown school. And you need to really ask some, ask the next coach, how can I help this program? What can I do to help you? Because I want to see Memphis be successful because I live here. And uh, then it just kind of went from there that, you know, give the guy a chance, give him a fighting chance. Uh, and the thing is, the study that I had done, and I'd been saying for two years now that we weren't going to stay where we were. If we didn't start putting money into the program, we had it to a seven-win program, and which is the most that they'd had. And and But it wasn't going to stay there. I mean, it, it, we, we maxed out. We had taken it as far as we could take it. And... Uh, and and that's what I've been trying to preach. And but I just wanted to give the study I'd done. These were the things that we needed to one to keep needed some money for assistance to keep coaches because you get a good coach and you can't keep him. Uh, you know, and then facility wise, the things you know we couldn't show them around in the weight room because the weight room leaked. If it was raining, you know, it was leaking everywhere. And it, I mean, it was it was it was bad. And uh, I, I just believe that Memphis is a place. Memphis is a good town, and it's and it's a place where everybody said it was a basketball town. Well, I don't believe that, and I never did then. It, it's a sports town, uh, and they'd supported basketball because they'd won in basketball, and they hadn't. They'd never won in football. But then when we did get it going, you know, shoot, one year we averaged thirty-eight thousand people. Uh, at our game. So, you know, played uh, two games with a sellout, a Thursday night game against Louisville that was sold out. Uh, so I just felt like it could be done, but doing the study, here's what needs to be done. So, and now, you know, I got a video yesterday from a, a friend of mine that's, that's coaching there now uh, of the indoor, that they just finished their indoor. It looks really nice. So they have done everything that I had on my list to get done and you see what's happened that's what i was going to yeah. ask you tommy i'm curious when when you and i know you're at middle tennessee and so you're recruiting against memphis probably fairly frequently you guys are crossing paths but is there a part of you that that took that takes pride in, in what fuente was able to do and then of course what what norvell was able to do the last couple of years absolutely absolutely uh i think you know some people took what i said as kind of sour grapes with, you know, this is a fired coach up here, just, you know, going to try to blister everybody. And it wasn't meant to be that way at all. Uh, what I said came from the heart because I had 10 years of, uh, of a lot of work. Now I had a lot of hours, time, sweat uh, equity, yeah, heart surgery, went, uh, <laughs> you know, put in that program. I mean, a bunch invested in it and, I wanted to see it do good because I really believed that it could, if they'd ever put it in it, it could. And I know how bad those people wanted it there. I mean, we won that first bowl game, and, I mean, I thought they were going to go crazy. Uh, of course, then they thought we ought to win them every year. <laughs> and then we weren't playing in big enough bowl games. We needed to be in the Orange Bowl. And, uh, but but, that, but you create your own, uh, you know, you create, you move the bar. We moved, we moved the bar there. Uh, which I was proud of that. And then now they, and I was, uh, and I'm, I'm friends with Fuente and Norvell and, uh, talk, probably talked to, uh, Norvell more than Fuente, but, but, uh, but I'm just, I'm glad to see that we can see them do what they've done. And I think they can keep it going. 
Yeah, it's there's there's no no doubt about the fact that the bigger the the monster that you create gets, the more that the monster has to eat, and the more that it That's eats, right. the bigger it gets. And so at some point there's a there's a breaking point. Last couple of things, and I really appreciate your time. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, what do what do you tell young people that are that are you know out there wanting to wanting to play football or, or trying to figure out a way you know to, to find their sport? Do you like players who play multiple sports, or do you like players who focus solely on football year round? No, I have a very strong opinion. I want them to play as many sports as they can play. And, and I think that's part of, of what's hurting some of them right now. Uh, when we get kids now, I really believe this, they, they don't have any clue how to compete uh, like we did because we competed year-round. If you just play football, then you may compete 10 times a year. Um, if you get in the playoffs, maybe 12 times a year, maybe 13 times. But that's all you do. You compete in 10, 13 games a year. Uh, you know, we got through playing whenever we finished our season in the playoffs. Then Monday we were out on the basketball court. And then we competed in all those games. Then we played baseball. As soon as basketball was over, we went to baseball and we competed. You, uh, you, you got to compete. And I think we've lost some of that with all this specialized. But I like for our guys to be uh, multiple sports. And then my last thing is there's – I've talked about this with a lot of football guys, and it's always interesting to hear sort of the different opinions that they have. There's a lot of talk certainly over the last several years about CTE and, uh, you know, brain damage and that kind of thing with football and just the physical effects of the game. Do you worry at all about the future of, of football? Yeah, and I think it's unfair. But, yes, I, I, you know, I, I, I do think that there's enough out there uh, – the, the game has really changed, uh, and, and for the better, okay? And I think the, the CTE and all that has a lot to do with it, but our game is nothing like, you know, we used to talk about how physical a game it was in the, in the trenches. Everybody always talked about trenches, and it was. And now there's no physicality in the trenches. I mean, it's, it's a grab, hold. Uh, the rules have changed, you know, where now you can hold, nobody throws flippers, there's not forearms, there's none of that. It's just grabbing, holding the back, make a move off of it. It's not very physical in the line of scrimmage anymore. Where it has changed, as the players have gotten bigger, as they've gotten stronger, as they've gotten faster, uh, in the open field, our game is really violent. Uh, where it where it didn't used to be near as violent because we weren't near as big, but now you know you got safeties now that weigh two fifteen, two twenty, uh, hit hitting people coming across. I mean, so the rule either they had to enlarge the field, we're going to have to make the field larger, or they're going to change some of the rules, and we have. Uh, the, so now here comes you know you can't lead with your your head anymore, and you can't. And at first, you know, I mean, because I grew up in a if you catch a ball coming across the middle of the field, we're going to light you up. I mean, we own that. We're and you won't. You better be strong if you're going to hold on to it. And you know they've taken all that out of the game, and it's for the better because uh, people are going to get hurt. Now, in 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 all the rules, I think that have made it better. Uh, it, the equipment's much better now, and and you know, I just I get I get a little upset with, you know, I think soccer can be probably be more violent than our game without a helmet on, um, and you look at some of the statistics of concussions in 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 soccer, uh, but yet you know football's taking the brunt of it right now because it's probably more visible than anything but but the, but the game is really different and and I think 
I had a hard time accepting it when it first started changing, but now I really believe that the game's better. Our, our, the college game is, is faster. I think it's more exciting. They're, they're better athletes than we've ever had. Uh, and we found a way, I think, to, to make the game safer. You know, now we've taken the quarterback and he's got a strike zone on him that you can hit him in and, and you can't take cheap shots anymore. Uh, so I, I think the game's safer now, really, than it's ever been. Tommy, this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I hope that uh, you're, you're getting back, on, get your players back soon and you guys can get started and get started safely. I think we're all cheering for the for the same thing and uh, best of luck to you and, and, uh, and your family and your team as you guys move forward. Well, I appreciate it and I uh, appreciate y'all having me on. Thank you. Zach, thanks for setting this up. Really appreciate it, bud. All right, y'all be good. Stay safe. Thanks again to Tommy West and Zach Barry, and earlier in the day to Antonio Morales. That does it for today's Oxford Exxon podcast. We will be back tomorrow morning with a uh, podcast. I know that Chase uh, Parham is taping with Adam Gunnashow today. You'll hear that on Thursday morning. And then we'll have a uh, live show on Thursday night on our YouTube channel. That will be put up in podcast form on Friday morning. There is also a Greatest Pod in the South that is out uh, I taped a beer garden last night with associate economics professor at Ole Miss, Josh Hendrickson. That is available to you. Uh, Mind on my money that we taped yesterday should be available today at some point as well. And uh, Zach Barry and I will tape a uh, soft verbal podcast later this week about Ole Miss recruiting. To be honest, we're both kind of waiting on a decision from Romello White, the former Arizona State basketball player, who is in the transfer portal and appears to be deciding between Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, and Georgia. So we're, as soon as we get some news on that, we'll come to you with a, for lack of a better word, emergency soft verbal podcast presented by the people at Dead Soxie. So until tomorrow, uh, take care. Thank you for listening. Again, thanks to Antonio Morales, Zach Barry, and Tommy West on another interview-packed edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. <laughs>